Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. I need is one mic, one beat, one stage, one nigga front, my face on the front page, only if I had one gun, one girl and one crib, one God to show me how to do things as sun did, pure, like a cup of virgin blood, mixed with 151, one sip will make a nigga flip, writing names on my hollow tips, plotting shit, mad violence, who I'm gonna body, this hood politics acknowledge it, leave bodies chopped up in garbage, seeds watch us, grow up and try to follow us, police watch us, roll up and try knocking us, one knee I up. Could it be my time is up with my luck? I got up. The cops shot again. Bust stop glass burst. A fiend drops his Heineken. Ricocheting between the spots that I'm hiding in. Blacking out. I shoot back. Fuck getting hit. This is my hood. I'm a rat to the death of it. To everybody, come on. Little niggas is grown. Look rats. Don't abortion your wound. We need more warriors soon. Shit from the stars, sun and the moon. And it's like a police chase. The street sweepers and coppers. Sick up kids with no conscience. Leaving victims with doctors. If you really think you're ready to die, we're not. Out. This is what now is about, nigga. The time is now. All I need is one mic. All I need is one mic. All I need is one mic. All I need, niggas. All I need is one mic. One blunt, one page, and one pen, one prayer. Tell God, forgive me for one sin. Matter of fact, maybe more than one. Look back at all the hatred against me. Fuck all of them. Jesus died at age 33. That's 33 shots from twin glocks and 16 apiece. That's 32, which means one of my guns was holding 17. 27 hit your crew. Six went into you. Everybody gotta die sometime. Hope your funeral never gets shot up. Bullets tear through the innocent. Nothing is spare. Niggas roll up. Shooting from wheelchairs. My heart is racing. Tasting revenge in the air. I let this shit slide for too many years. Too many times now. I'm strapped with a couple of max. Too many nines. If y'all niggas really with me, get busy. Load up the semis. Do more than just hold it, explode the clip until you empty. There's nothing in our way. They bust, we bust, they rust, we bust. Let's fly and feel it. I feel it in my gut that we take these bitches to war. Lie them down, cause we stronger now. My nigga, the time is now. Talking on that slick shit the same way these bitches do. 
wonder what my secret is. Niggas will move on you only if they know what your weaknesses. I have none. Too late to grab guns. I'm blasting because I'm a fool, nigga. Thought I wouldn't have that ass done. Fool you, niggas. What you call an infinite brawl? Eternal souls clashing. World gets deep. Some beef is everlasting. Complete with thick stars. Brothers knifing each other up in prison yards. Drama. Where does it start? You know the block was ill as a youngster. Every night it was like a cop would be killed. Body found in the dumpster. For real, a hustler. Purchased my range. Niggas throwing dirt on my name. Jealous because fiends got they working to plane. Bitches left me because they thought I was finished. Should have knew she wasn't true. She came to me when a man caught a sentence. Diamonds are blinded. I never make the same mistakes. Moving with a change of pace. Light a load. See, now the king is straight. Swelling my melon because none of these niggas real hurt. were telling police how can a kingpin squeal. This is crazy. I'm on the right track. I'm finally found. You need some soul searching. The time is now. All I need is one mic. Woo! All powers to oppressed people, African power to an African people, and black power. It's your brother and your host, National Chairman Yang Nkrumah, People's Black Panther Party for Self-Determination. That was that Nas one mic. Man, that is a hot song when we dig the lyrics. Welcome, everyone. I'm glad that you could tune in and listen to us and that you're sharing your Tuesday with us on our political education you know how we do. We get out. This is an opportunity for the listeners to um, comment, opinion, to, to have their opinions, to exchange views. I am one who constantly says, and you know my philosophy, I'll have to open it up. I believe in African communalism. Together, there is nothing we can't accomplish. Individuality and separation ensures certain death, doom, and destruction and failures for an African people here in America. Hands down. Now we have an interesting show, and it was brought about. You know, I always like to talk about the things that, um, you know, inspire the topics and the concepts for the show. Tonight's show is the African or black upper and middle class and their role in the Africa, African liberation struggle. The African or black here in America, upper and middle class, and their role in our struggle for liberation, empowerment, and advancement as an African people here in America. And what, what, you know, what inspired this conversation or what inspired the topic for today's conversation was, you know, um, on a central committee call, we were talking and we were going over about talking about the new recruits and the people that had come in and talking about the need for economics in our revolutionary struggle, how we seem to attract um, lower class. I don't want to say lower class. You know, I don't like this. I don't want to say lower class as if it's some disease not to have money or that you're beneath someone else because you don't have money. But when I say class, I'm talking about in economics. I'm talking about the brothers and sisters which whom myself I believe that I am a part of. The um, lumping, the lumping proletariat. The working class and those below the working class that are marginalized and disenfranchised that sometimes have work and sometimes don't have work that have to struggle to make their ends meet, that class. Uh, and we were talking about how the movement always attracts this type of people, which is understandable because when you come from this type of class, when you come from this social social strata, when you come from this um level, a segment of society, dreaming is an escape. We 
We all dream of a better tomorrow. We all dream of a tomorrow where there is plenty. We all dream of a tomorrow where there is enough for everyone. And we don't have to hustle as hard as we hustle. We don't have to wish as hard as we're wishing to make sure we don't have to scheme and connive, lie and cheat or do whatever we have to do or feel that we have to do to make our ends meet, to pay the bills, to feed the babies, to clothe ourselves, to keep our lights, gas and everything, all the utilities running. We dream of a day and we dream of a world where such tolls and hardships don't exist. So we see the attraction to a revolutionary party. It's only natural. I understand why the people in masses flock to a revolutionary party that is fighting for the change of social conditions. But when they flock, they bring some of the most precious commodities, the most precious resource we can ask for any people. That's their time, their labor, their commitment, their ingenuity, their sweat, their blood, all the things that it takes to make a party run. But they, we still miss a vital a very vital, important resource, and that's the economics. That's the economics. I don't care if you're capitalist, if you're socialist, if you're communist, whatever it is going, it takes economics to run an organization. And so we end up um, missing this vital key component, this vital element that's needed because of, of, of the pool that we're pulling from. Of the Social, that social segment, that demographic of society, it has lack and want. So in the Central Committee meeting, my um, chief of staff posed a question. He said, how do you appeal to the upper and middle class to get involved in the liberation struggle? How do you appeal to the upper and middle class to get involved in the um, political liberation struggle? or the liberation struggle for Africans in America, which posed another question. Those who know me as a revolutionary know that my political leanings, my economic ideology is a leaning towards socialism. So naturally it, it, it clicked in me some preconditioning, for lack of better words, some um, ways that I have been taught in socialism. And the first thing when he said, how do you get these uh, – upper and middle class, the first thing that popped in my mind automatically was bourgeoisie. We don't want the bourgeoisie. You know, the communists and socialist training kicked in. We don't want, you know, the landowners versus the peasantry, the uh, bourgeoisie versus the proletarian, these Marxist uh, Engels or these Marxist leaning ideology naturally popped in my mind through conditioning. Because believe me, you brothers, it's something. even when we think we're liberating our mind with revolutionary teachings, we still have to explore the foundations and the origins of the revolutionary teachings that we are embracing. Because they still can be steeped in, if not white supremacy, at the very least white privilege and white entitlement based on Eurocentric values, morals, and ethics, and in my opinion, of course, and if some disagree, you can press one, and, you know, we can open up the chat, but in my opinion, of course, communism is one such philosophy when you study the history of Karl Marx and Frederick Engels, who were bourgeoisie, who were European and didn't have to address the issue of race or the race issue and racial discrimination was not a prominent issue in their day and time, nor in their locale, their region, their country. 
So that was the first thing. But then I had to choke it back because even with these, uh, my teachings in socialism and communism, my fundamental, my rudimentary, my base core belief, my base core ideology and philosophy is revolutionary Pan-Africanism, nationalism, black nationalism. So in black nationalism, it you have to foster it because black nationalism is just that, about the advancement and empowering of a black people, the nationalization of black people. And when I say, especially here in America, and when I say the nationalization of black people, the black people behaving as if they are a people that belong to a nation. You know, I know we have our critics who say, oh, we'll never get a nation. What landmass? Where are you from? Wait. You don't need all that to behave as if you are one people. And the only thing you need, a unifying factor, won't be religion, won't be skin complexion, won't be, uh, uh, it may not even possibly be geographical location, but it will be the same shared traumatic experience. Even if you don't believe we came over here on slave boats, if you believe we were indigenous to this country and we were here, the shared traumatic experience of what we face now should be a unifying factor. I don't care if you came on a slave boat, if you say you was here before the slave boat, before Christopher Columbus and all that good stuff, you still, there's still a potential of you being murdered because you're black. You still have the potential to be denied alone because you're black, to be oppressed, economically exploited, racially discriminated against, and every other thing that happens to a melanated people here in America. You have that potential if you fit in the Negroid category of the species of the human species there is always that potential here in america because america's fabric is interwoven with white supremacy genocide homicide racial discrimination and exploitation so it's always there so when we when i understood this i said you know what later for the class struggle to that point Later for the class struggle, later for allowing that to be the leading proponent, the leading ideology, the leading um, inspiration for liberation for African people. Because whether you're upper class, middle class, upper middle class, whatever, you still, there's still a potential for you to be discriminated against. Or quite possibly, in the worst case scenario, may we be protected from this, murdered. Murdered. Despite your, how much money you have in the bank or your economic status or your social uh, uh, status or what demographic you belong to socially and economically, you, you have that potential. There is always that potential there to be murdered. So how do we begin? So the question is, how do we begin to incorporate the so-called upper echelon? And you guys have to forgive me for the words that I'm going to use because we're chartering new ground as far as revolutionary struggle. This is new ground. This is profound thought. This is black nationalism 101. It's, it's, it's profound, but it's fundamental and basic, so we have to go back to it. It's not about the big words and the fancy ideologies and being all over the place. It is how do we get black people to participate in their liberation struggle? How we, do we show them that it is worth them contributing, not just their time, not just their energy, not just their labor, but their finances. 
So then we go into, and, and so that began to remind me of another conversation I had with talking what made up the African bourgeoisie, if that's what we want to call them. What made up the African upper class and middle class? Why were they out of the neighborhoods? And, 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 and she, oh man, this sister here, dropped some profound thoughts. She said, a lot of times, these people who have worked hard, who want better for themselves, they, and want better for their children, and want better for their community, are run out of their community by black people. I don't think you heard me. I don't think. The very people who work hard, who labor and toil to shake off the stigma and the stereotype of African people here in America being lazy and no good and worthless and work hard, not to just break that myth, but to provide, to do what we as revolutionaries say we want to do, provide better conditions for themselves and their people. When they go back amongst them people, their own people, they are run out of the communities. Point in case, and let's be realistic. You know, let's not romanticize this thing. Let's talk. Are we, we're brothers and sisters here. This is your big brother, Yanga, rapping to you. If I had a billion dollars, if I became a billionaire and tried to move in the hood, would I be able to stay there? Or would I be what we call in the hood a lick, a sweet lick? Would my children be at risk of being kidnapped? Would my car be at risk of being stolen? Would my home be at risk of being broken into? And I'm not generalizing or trying to perpetuate a stereotype that all black people are thugs and criminals. I'm being realistic. Hell, back in the day, I may have been one of the perpetrators and predators. Said, you're a billionaire, you got this big home in the hood, nice cars, this and that. You might have been looking like a state to me. So I'm being real. So in the effort to provide our families with a better life, to do what I said a revolutionary is fighting to do, change the very social conditions, that promote impoverty, uh, impoverishment, that promote uh, illiteracy and violence. This is what a revolutionary is trying to change. In order to change that thing and get my children out of that and to find a place where I can do that, unfortunately, as a majority, we are not in upper uh, uh, economic echelons in society. Let me try to break that down. If me as a rich black man wanted to move into a wealthy, well-to-do, safe and secure black community, it is hard for me to find. Therefore, leaving me to have to, unfortunately, even if I hate it and detest it, have to move into an integrated community for the security. For the security. You disagree? Press one. We'll recognize you. We can rap about this all day. But if you think about it, you know I'm telling the truth. I can't live with my people whom I love and want to serve and want to see advance and elevate, and I'm here at their disposal. But do they hear that? So in order to um, provide my children and my wife with a safe environment, with an environment that they can blossom in and be progressive in, I'm forced sometimes by necessity to move into neighborhoods that don't that a lot of people don't reflect me or look like me. It's not that I'm selling out, I've been run out. And I think when the sister brought that up, I was like, wow, I never thought of that. I never thought of that. So how do you incorporate 
a people who have the financial and economic wherewithal, the resources at their disposal to get involved in the African struggle when we still suffer from neocolonialism. And like Franz Fanoin said in Wretched of the Earth, he said, you're rich because you're white, and you're white because you're rich. In America, that is the two are damn near synonymous. So in our neocolonialist thinking, in our sick and warped and twisted mind, when we see a rich black man automatically, or a well-to-do African man or woman automatically, we say they have sold, it, so, sold out and want to be white. So how effective is our propaganda, is our in our lure to the liberation struggle. And what role do they play? Do you feel like they sold out? Me personally, I don't know. You know, I think that it's on each is on an individual basis, but I would love to know how you feel about it. Because we are at a pivotal time. We are past the time of, you've heard me say time and time again, empty sensationalism and rhetoric. We have a president that if isn't if he isn't fascist, if he isn't fascist, he has catered or created an environment that racist fascists feel comfortable operating in. I like how they brush the bombings of the um, in Texas under the rug. Well, you know, in none of his writings, we didn't find anything racially motivated. Let's just look at his victims. You know, I don't have to write about that. Cracker probably couldn't write well. I don't know. Maybe he couldn't spell. But let's look at the actions. So, that in, but so, more than ever, it is time for the progressive revolutionary organizations to step up and move beyond the simple talking. But in order to be effective, in order to have effective programs, you, we need goods. And not just goods, resources and economic resources. And we have Africans out there willing to contribute. We see it. Look at the groups out there. A lot of times, these bougie groups, these bourgeoisie groups, these watered-down milk-dud, I like to call them milk-dud groups, I'm going to call some names, NAACP, National Advancement Association of Colored People. Let me tell you something. It's 2018. If you're still running around calling yourself colored and trying to advance colored people, man, yo, your movement is far behind. But we have groups like that even this, this Black Lives Matter groups, we have these mainstream, very watered-down, reformist, integrationist, or similarization, homogenized Negroes masquerading and parading around like strong advancement groups, but they receive the resources. Why? Because the people that have the resources, two reasons. One, they at least see something from the NAACP, if it ain't nothing but the United Negro College Fund and a few Negroes have graduated from college, and they offer inclusion. The fact that these well-to-do or economically stable black people contribute to these organizations show you that in their heart, they are inclined to some sort of advancement and evolution of African people. That's what it shows. Because they don't have to do all oh, well, they're giving to the United they're giving to the NAACP, nigga ain't real, he giving to they don't have to do that. They don't have to do that. They got money. Who they're trying to appease? 
So in their in their consciousness, see, I believe in African consciousness. I believe in the genetic principles and a genetic code. I believe in the ancestors. So I believe in their consciousness to, at the very least, if nothing but to alleviate the consciousness, the sting of having uh, acquired wealth and knowing what they came from as a people to be in the position that they are to achieve such a state. The Thurgood Marshalls and even the Bill Cosby's who say what they want to say contribute greatly. Bill say one time, I am the United Negro College Fund. He contributed so much money. These type of Negroes, whom we like to call homogenized Uncle Toms at times, have contributed to some sort of organization for the advancement. Why not us? Because we haven't been an all-inclusive organization. Yet, we will scream what? All powers to the people. <laughs> All powers to the people, except for that nigga and that nigga there. But all powers to everybody else. We will embrace every struggle. We will fight for Palestine. We will fight against Zionism and the annexation of Israel from Palestine and saying that Israel is an illegal state. The Zionists or the Jewish people or these so-called Jewish people are interlopers and criminal settlers. That they have annexed Israel and stolen the land from the power and be oh, 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 um, since the, the most sincerest anti oppression, freedom for the people, and a brother and sister who through hard work, who through believing that African people can rise above what they say we can rise above. And have used their talents or ingenuity or labor or whatever they have used to achieve a certain economic status. We, in a lot of cases, and I'm saying we, we as revolutionary force, this movement have the audacity to tear them down. Now is the time to figure out how to include them in the struggle, how to make them see themselves in the struggle. They don't see themselves in the everyday struggle. And one of the reasons that I don't, I believe that they don't see themselves in the everyday struggle is, like I said, whether we know it or not, the neo-colonialist mind who has taught us that white is ingenious, that white revolution is right revolution, that if we emulate, if we follow the blueprint laid out to us by other revolutionaries, not black nationalists. Very rarely do you hear us quote black nationalist revolutionaries. I think the biggest black nationalist revolution, the most popular black nationalist revolutionary quoted is Malcolm X. Half of us on the line don't know who Martin Delaney is, the father of black nationalism. I'll tell you how far removed from black nationalism we are. How many of us know Martin Delaney, the father of black nationalism? Yes, I said the father before Malcolm who promoted and taught black nationalism. We don't know that because subconsciously we follow the way. We will quote Huey, who at times subscribed and adhered to Marxist-Leninist communism. We will quote Angela Davis, uh, who was a communist. We will quote Che Guevara. We will quote Mao Zedong. We will quote Lenin. We will go so far as to quote damn Stalin. Marx. 
Communist Manifesto, Karl Marx said, we will quote all of these things, and in quoting these things, we begin to take them on in our spirit, and even though we put a black nationalist title on it, it doesn't make it black nationalist. Malcolm said, you can put kittens in the oven, it don't make them biscuits. It don't make them biscuits. So we label these things black nationalism, but in reality, they're a white philosophy and our Eurocentric European philosophy and ideology that we're trying to interject into an African struggle here in America, which is unique in all in all and of itself. And we will try to inject and interpose these theories and philosophies. And when we do this, we begin to equate our struggle to other revolutions, the Bolshevik Revolution, the landowners against the peasantry, and so on and so forth, and we perpetuate the class divide. And we have the nerve to call African people who are subjugated to the same discrimination, racism, oppression, and exploitation as the bourgeoisie. Because they got money. Not because of any stance they have taken. Not because of any deviancy in their philosophy or ideology. Not because they have contributed to anything against what we're doing, but because they have money. And since they feel this hostility towards them, since they feel this animosity, since they're tired of being equated to the white man whom they've had to compete twice as hard, had to work twice as long, had to commit twice as much to a business or some type of industry or something they do to achieve what they achieve, and we don't celebrate them, we don't commemorate that, we don't pat them on the back and say, good job, we say, Uncle Tom ass, sellout ass, nigga. Why you live with the white folks? See, that's why I don't have money, because I say, nigga, are you going to protect me, nigga? Or will you be the one kicking in my door, offering a ransom, or demanding a ransom for my family? Have we elevated to that point of all inclusion? That our struggle is an African struggle in America. Therefore, the only solution, the only fueling, inspiring, motivating force should be for us as Africans here in America is black nationalism. Period. Put the damn communists on the phone. I'll tell them. Come to me talking about your goddamn Bolshevik revolution. Excuse my language. This is a family show. I done got excited. But our movements are co-opted because they sound good, and when they place these revolutions in front of us, we long and yearn for freedom so badly that when we read about the Bolshevik Revolution or read about the Cuban Revolution or the Chinese Revolution, we can taste it. We can feel it. We want to be there. We put ourselves in those shoes. We see ourselves waving the banner of freedom. What would it be like to be free? Yeah, revolution. They achieved it, and we do what we do best and assimilate. We do what we do best and assimilate, especially when that type of teaching is encouraged and promoted, and we have to look at who and, and that those teachings are encouraged and promoted, and a lot of time it's the white left. Excuse me, I didn't hear somebody say something. Oh. It's the white left who still benefit from white entitlement and white privilege here in America. So what makes you think that they're really going to tell you 
that yours is just not a class struggle, but yours is a race struggle. Therefore, certain things you cannot apply certain principles at certain times to your struggle. I love France Fanon. It's one of my favorites. I love France Fanon. I love how he got so involved in the Algerian revolution that he was willing to even give up his identity. He was that thoroughly committed. I love Huey P. Newton, Tupac, whom Tupac had a group called the Lumpen, who push and promote the Lumpen proletarian, the working class and below the working class. I loved him. I loved the philosophy. I loved the ideology. I loved the thought process that went into a lot of their theories and how they perceived that revolution would take place here in America. I think it's brilliant. But in this day and time, the benefit we have of that is being able to look back and saying to ourselves, is it practical? And why aren't these so-called revolutionaries pushing a nationalism or pushing us towards nationalism? At the very least, if not now in economics, if not now in social and cultural living, at the very least, at the very least, mentally. They do it mentally. They practice nationalism mentally. They will look out for their own. They will care for one of their own. To a degree. To a degree. As long as you embrace the class thing and the capitalist ideology and the believe in the dream of America, yeah, they will suppress lower-income white people to a degree. And yes, they will uplift you if you achieve a little economic status to a degree, but at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, even the richest African here in America, even the richest black man or black woman here in America will still tell you that at times they have been made to be felt like a nigger. Because we have left a nationalistic mind state. The only way that they can, a nigger is a creation of America. A nigger is the American creation. So the only way you can be be made to feel like a nigger is if you bought into the American dream. See, when you know that you're African, you don't need any other people to validate your existence. They can't make you feel other than what you know you truly are when you know that you're an African. Here in America, having an American experience, I would tell the white man, I expect that of you, Mr. White Man. You're American. You're an American white man. You're not even like an English white man. You know, Britain, they, I'm not saying they got more sense, but they have uh, uh, more cunning. They're smart enough to at least, on some degrees, hide the racism to a degree. But you're an American white man. You're, 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 you're arrogant and you're egotistical. Mm-hmm. So we should expect that, being an African, an African expects that. And when we begin to think of all nationhood and think nationally, then the illusion of economic division begins to fade away. We understand that it is just that, an illusion. There is no economic division. And once we understand that it's an illusion, we will begin to work on ways to appeal to the so-called upper and middle class Africans here in America to get them to see that investing in revolutionary progressive rather not these integrationism they will begin to see because they know better than you and I. 
believe me, they suffer discrimination. We discover we 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 suffer it on different levels. We may suffer more police brutality, not because they have money, yes, you know, because they have money, but not just because they have money, but because where they live, the police aren't as much of a presence as they are in our case. So the chances of us running across the police are greater than the, their chances. But believe me, you, they can be as rich as they want to be. Let them come to our hoods in the bins. They don't have to worry about it. It'll be the police pulling them over. Whoop. So it wouldn't even it wouldn't even be us. But believe me, you, they suffer discrimination and racism on a different level. They suffer, they suffer it on their jobs when it's time to get promoted, when it's time to get raises, when it's time to get vacations, when it's time for days off, for days and the sick days, everything. They're discriminated in a whole new way. So the discrimination and the racism is still there, but we have the audacity to compare turmoil. Whose discrimination is greater? Whose suffering is worse? Instead of saying suffering to us as a people does not have to exist at all. We can begin to create programs and institutions, change the social condition in which we live to where we are empowering ourselves and discrimination and racism eventually in the future. When we talk revolution, we talk protracted struggle. We talk generational struggle. Would not exist for us as a people because we will be recognized as a people. And they know stepping to us, when stepping to us, you must step correct or you suffer. If not, physical reprisal. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm very mild and tamed and I refrain from saying certain things on the radio. If not physical reprisals, political and economic reprisals. For your treatment of the African here in America, let's go to our phone lines. And, and before I do, you're listening to the People's Black Panther Party for Self Determination Blog Talk Radio, Independent Black Blog Talk Radio. I'm your brother and host, uh, National Chairman Yang Nkrumah. The Law Press One, we'll recognize her. We'll love to hear from you. I'd love to hear your take. I'm sure some of y'all are like, screw the bourgeoisie. The hell with these rich Negroes. They sell it. Hey, listen, this is what this program is for, to share our opinions. Area code 216-5363. Your mic is open. Assalamu alaikum, Black Power. Assalamu alaikum, Black Power, Chairman Carr. How you doing? I'm good, brother. How about yourself? Okay. I'm just adding to the conversation in terms of black nationalism, and this is why a lot of brothers, don't understand and sister don't understand black nationalism and natural. When we took exile, when we had to run away from the country, we went to Cuba. Cofidia understood Cuban nationalism and that's why they organized. And then the greatest thing is that Robert Williams, even Hewitt Newton, uh, went to China. Because China understood nationalism. Every nationality that fighting for the liberation understood nationalism. And this is why the Caucasian wants to understand it. China is called Red China. Cuba is called Cuba. Every other nation that liberated and got rid of that European from 
colonizing them, the economics, the politics, and everything else. And we understand that uh, here in America, and you made it so clear, one thing we got to understand is uh, the neocolonialism. And the greatest problem we have here in America is the colonization of our minds. And so that's where it come in that when we talk about mind control, we're talking about the colonization in America. We call ourselves Negroes, African Americans, the color, and all of this. But in China, they call themselves red. In Cuba, they call themselves Cuban. In every other place, they recognize the nationality. To recognize our, uh, our nationality, one of the greatest problems because we don't recognize Africa. We think that we are Americans. And then long as it's a chicken thing, no, excuse me. Then basically, as long as the eagle think that chicken, they're going to be in the pen. And I end this conversation by saying that you take a lion who's the king of the jungle and put him in a zoo and tamed him. Walk and stick your head in mouth. You don't took a lion. You don't took a species of animals and you domesticated them. We are the most domesticated Negroes on the planet. We more domesticated than the chickens that lay eggs. We are more domesticated than the rooster that crow. And he know that. And his job is doing that. And you're doing a good job breaking down neocolonialism because they hear you saying neocolonialism. They don't understand that we say neocolonialism. That's a process, not only a process, but that's the germination and destruction of a generation, black power. Black power. And I'm glad you said, you know what, though, but one of the things I want to touch on, and call I see, I'm coming right to you next, 619, um, is when you talked about China. And I love that because we're sitting here talking about how neocolonialism creeps in, and in our case, neocolonialism to the fact that to the effect of we believe in white supremacy, and and not know that we believe in white supremacy. Here's what I mean: that what I was talking about determinism. We embrace certain doctrines that the left, the white left, has given us. And we see it, in, and so to go to China, I like that example. Mao Zedong was a communist, and he pushed a Marxist communism in the beginning, and he fought Chinese nationalists. Let me just, uh, let me say this real quick. Oh, Mao Zedong uh, also was over the country, and he studied on the Marxist side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he came, but 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 you can't deny. Did he not fight the Chinese nationalists? Oh, he had to. Okay, so he fought Chinese nationalists. But this is the point yeah. I'm trying to make. He fought Marcus Mao Zedong fought Chinese nationalists. He was a communist. He pushed he he pushed that Marxism, uh, and he fought the Chinese nationalists. And then Japan invaded, and so the nationalists and the communists had to come together. And they ran Japan out. 
And, and in their running Japan out, that war with Japan had weakened the Chinese nationalists, and Mao Zedong had taken over, had then again waged that civil war against the Chinese nationalists and beat the Chinese nationalists, and uh, China became communist. The, the predominant ideology and philosophy was communism. Was a Marxist? Because in the beginning, Mao was a Marxist. But listen to this. This is the genius of Mao. This is what we talk about evolving. This is what we talk about with the revolutionary must begin to really study and evolve socially and psychologically to adapt. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Man, that's your question. Yeah, to, see, uh, oh, uh, see, one thing is a uh, 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 fighting Japanese imperialism, but China is still being the same understanding of um, socialism and what they're dealing with. But China was one of the main books. We read from the red book. Now, I'm protecting... Yeah, um, but, but, but let me... let me Because we you can't deny, Chairman Carr, and I hate to debate with you, you can't deny the history. We, yeah, you're, talking about, you're talking about a after Mao Zedong. Here, here, let me finish my thought. Let me finish my thought, and then you can come in. If you still disagree... You can come in, but let me at least finish the thought. When he defeated the Chinese nationalists, in the beginning, Mao was a Marxist. He defeated the Chinese nationalists. That was that revolution, the communist revolution. In the history, when we study the history of revolutionary China, he understood that a Marxist communism was not sufficient for China. This is why you got Maoism now. Because he damn near destroyed China under that communism. He took all the farmers out of the field. He tried to industrialize China damn near overnight and almost starved China. He took, um, he destroyed a lot of the Chinese institutions. In his drive against nationalism, he was so communist in that drive that he destroyed a lot of Chinese history and a lot of uh, Chinese institutions. But when he saw what that was doing to his country, Mao began to realize that that strict Marxism, that that, and when he went to Russia, uh, Soviet Union, and met with them and seen how they treated him, it, it, it's all historical, and they seen how he treated. He began to realize that this staunch Marxism like this, this staunch Communist Party line, is not beneficial to the Chinese people, and that's why even the parents study Maoism. Yeah, y'all studied the Red Book, but that was after the evolution of Mao. To Marxism, he understood that communism must address, it has to be in such a manner that it addresses the needs of the Chinese people. And this is what I'm saying that the African must do. That's right. We have to take these philosophies and modify them to the need. And now, in that, Mao has a Maoist understanding of, of, of socialism. And the Panther Party studied Maoism. The Maoists understand it because it addressed it. It took the economic and political philosophy of communist socialism, but also incorporated the psychological, cultural, and social understanding of a people. And this is what the African here must, in America, must begin to do when we want to have a real, if we want to have a practical and realistic understanding of revolution. Chairman, I'm going to turn it back over to you a few minutes before I go to the phone lines because I know you want to say something. Okay, uh, yeah, uh, that is correct, because brothers and sisters, we have to understand 
revolution is a evolving, man. We're going through changes and changes and changes. See, a lot of brothers think revolution is going to start tonight. No, it's an evolving, and you correct when you said it. We looked at Marxism. We looked at all of that. But everything got to go back to what? The African Central Way of Life. Black nationalism. Right on. Right on. So open the phone up. Because I'm saying, we ain't got to deal with the Iguza Saba. The principles, this was our life. That's right. We understand the African way of life and the philosophy grew back. And all of those nations that got the liberation got the philosophy and the ideology from Africa. Black power. <clears throat> open it. Black power. Let's go to our phone lines. Area code six one nine zero six one four. Your mic is open. Hey, good evening, uh, Chairman. Uh, apologize for my uh, absence. This is my brother, Chairman Trinell. Yes, sir, man. No apology needed. We're just glad to have you back on the line, brother. How are you? Uh, I'm getting better by the day. Yes, sir. I'm better by yes, the day. <laughs> you know, just had a right on. Meeting with uh with the chief and uh MOD, you know, uh, you know, you know, every now and then you gotta look in their face, you know. That's right. And uh have that conversation, you know, break the bread, you know. But um I don't really wanna get into uh uh too much of what you and other chairman were talking about, you know, as a matter of history. <laughs> It's a matter of history, you know. And uh, we we teach we teach according to our strength, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what makes us so unique, you know. Uh, when they say it takes a village to raise a child, you don't just go to one person, you know. You have to go to a, a group of different elders, and you have to learn different things, and then you go back and. Put everything together, so the village you got it, you know that it now it makes sense to you, not so much to the village, but to you. And then uh, you become a good prodigal son. You can go out into the world and represent the village, and they still do that today in a lot of African nations. You know, uh, hold on for a minute. Okay. Um, I wanted to mention a few things about you mentioned about about Mao and uh, you know he had to go through a, a evolution of revolution. You know. Yes, sir. He, he was in it to win it, no doubt about it. You know, and those that are behind him that believed in him and believed that he had vision. You know, uh, was in it to win it, and uh, gave their life uh, for that vision. And he did have to uh, evolve his political understanding based on the needs of his people. You know, uh, you know, we try to make history complex, and uh, that's why the library is so 
full of different authors' interpretations of uh, how they view history. <clears throat> but, you know, as revolutionaries, we don't view history that way. We view history based upon the facts. You know, we view history based upon the remains of, right. of, a, of a civilization and on the remains of the minds of the people. You know, like the chairman say, well, you take a line and turn it into a circus clown, then uh, something something happened in the process. And when you have other things running around thinking and believing that it's something other than it's not, then you have to consider what process was involved in this transformation. Well, today we understand that process, and um, we will act accordingly. Um, this country's in trouble. It knows it's in trouble, and the bourgeois and those other uh, so-called black intellectuals, no offense to their understanding, but a lot of offense to their, to their wisdom. You know, because what they don't understand is that all of this that they're trying to understand has already been predicted. You know, we're not remaking a wheel or anything, reinventing anything. It's already been invented for us. It's for us to use the tools that's been given to us in order to accomplish the purpose that we set out to we set out to accomplish that we believe in. Today, the country is in so much disarray that it literally doesn't know which way to turn. Well, we tried to explain that to them more than 50 years ago, even before the Black Panther Party came into existence. Marcus Garvey tried to explain that to them. And even before that, you know, Blacks tried to explain that to them, but they knew everything. Couldn't nobody tell them nothing. They had guns and they had ships, and they had uh, they had material wealth, and they used that material wealth to uh, corrupt the corrupted, and the corrupt had material wealth, and so on and so forth. It's the same game. It's just different players. I remember when I was growing up, players used to tell me that. They said the game never changes. Just the names of, of the players, you know. And I used to think about that and think about that and see the same old game being yes, played. But yes, sir. The, the players involved Change. Same game, same hustling technique. Put a different name on Same old thing. So the yeah. game ain't changed. The hustlers we got today is the same hustlers we had over 50 years ago. Same yeah. pimps and players we got this today is the same pimps and players we had over 50 years ago. And, and like you, Chairman, I, I admit that I was one of them. Thought I was okay. all that. Did all that, you know? Couldn't nobody touch mm-hmm. me to 
you know, lawyers going on vacation on the money that I didn't came up on, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. I guess in a way, um, we've got our own story to tell, and uh, our own story is this little piece of, of what it's really all about. Who can tell that story better than we can? You know, me, you, and other chairmen. You know, who can tell the story better than those that participated in it? Those that were a part of it. What the lawyers know and the judges know and the cops know, we taught taught more than half of them, you know, how to become more corrupt, you know. We know more than they know. You know, yeah, they got the Yale and Harvard education, you know, but it already depends, you know. For black people to run around and think that they got a trait of inferiority is is ludicrous, you know. They built the greatest universities that the world has ever seen, you know. They brought knowledge to this planet. You know, both science and and medicine and everything that you see. Had it not been for us, they would not have it today. But still we got some of us running around thinking that we're not worthy, that we're not equal, you know, because we come from a depressed community, a depressed area. The books are taped together and stuff. It ain't like that at all. Man's not binding by nature, but by environment. Environment turns a person or entity into what it is. You know, that's terrible the lion and the lamb laying down together. You know, it's an environmental thing. It's not so much a spiritual thing. It's an environmental thing. Listen, let me jump in here. Too, because I'm I'm seeing that it might be problems with um it might be problems with our radio program. So if it goes off, brothers and sisters, uh, we 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 I apologize for it going off. Should it go off? But it's it's some some issues with it. But next week, and I'm Kevin, I'm coming right back to you. We okay. will still be back on, and I'm going. We're going to have and stay posted, um, and look to my Facebook page, Yang and Kruma or the People's Black Panther Party page for the new radio number. So I repeat, okay. we will have a new radio number, and so and I will keep everyone posted. But please continue, Brother Chairman. So I'll take that. Um, I hope everybody heard what you said. It's really important that you stay in touch with us and that you continue to keep the, the, the lines of communication open. Uh, we talked a while ago last year before I got sick, about put on your seatbelt because uh, we getting ready to go for a hell of a ride. Well, you know, tighten that seatbelt up because it's getting ready to hit the fan, you know. Uh, the Chinese are smart enough to realize this, and they, they've taken appropriate measures and appropriate actions so they're not reactionary, so they become revolutionary continuously. You yes, know, did they adapt? Did they adapt to the conditions around them? They've done very well at that. Now, we got to adapt. We're in an ideal position and situation 
where the salvation of this country rests on our shoulders. You know, mm-hmm. we possess a salvation. We need to get down and understand that. And it's hard for us to wrap our brains around the fact that uh, we we are the salvation of the United States of America. But black brothers and sisters, you are the salvation. You know, you are the creation of this of this country. You built this country. So in order for this country to continue to exist, both scientifically and technologically and socially and politically and economically, rests on your understanding of what's going on around you. You know, so, you know, please pay attention to what's being so freely given to you by these chairmen, you know, because, uh, you know, this is the last go-round for some of us. Yeah. And if we don't if we don't get this stuff now, shame on us. You know? God got us here for a reason. You know, and we gotta do what we gotta do. You know, we don't mean no harm to nobody, but uh we ain't taking no shit from nobody either. You know, we've been quiet, yeah, we've been right. patient, we've been understanding, you know, we've been we've been able to to sit back and say, Well, let's See if we can do it this way, this way, and this way. Everything that we've done and try to do socially, they've stolen from us. Mm-hmm. They try to take credit for it for themselves. You look yeah. at almost all their social programs, they stole from us and took credit for it. You look at the political yeah. understanding from, from, from a local to a national to an international level, you know, they stole from us and they're trying to take credit for it. You know, you look at all the things Fred Hampton was doing. Now they're trying to they, they try to steal that from him. You know, yeah. say that they the reason that we all need to work together on this, this, and that. But it ain't the way you thought before when you was hanging and burning and raping Absolutely. all of us. Absolutely, you didn't think about you, that at then. Right. Go ahead, but you Jeremy. know, one of the things I want to throw in here with you on that, and this is why I say I love one of the parts that you said is when you were talking about that. Um, Mao evolved his evolution, the evolution of the revolution, and that we yeah. must begin to um, defy the revolutionary struggle as it affects us. You know the principles that it's going to use as it affects us. And one of the ways that I think that how they're able to take those things from us is because we don't think collectively. You know what I'm saying? Right. When you don't think, when you know, when we don't think collectively, we don't look at that as being a part of our history. Regardless whether we agreed with somebody philosophically or not, whether we agreed ideologically or not, as that being a part of the history of African people in America that led to where we are, then they're able to take that from us and rewrite our history. Because right. we're constantly trying to, we are constantly trying to assimilate and intertwine, and we allow um, the oppressor to be the keeper of our history. What is point number five? Like I tell people, point number five and ten-point platform program, Black Panther Party self-determination, people, Black Panther Party self-determination, is we want a history, we want the true history that teaches the, uh, we want the teachings of the truth. I may not be doing it verbatim. My, listen, my soldiers on the line, Chief, I know you probably aren't here going to tear my butt up. But paraphrasing, point number five, ten-point platform program of the Black Panther Party <laughs> is we want a history that teaches the true nature of this racist, decadent society and the role of the black man and woman within this society. Exactly. In order to exactly. do that, we must, in order to have that, we must control that. Right. You can't expect, Malcolm said, if a man doesn't treat you right, what, thinks you, what makes you think he's going to teach you right? 
So, yeah, by the time we get down generational, like Chairman Trinnell is saying, man, by the time it gets to our great-great-grandchildren, they would have invented uh, the almanac. You know what I'm saying? The gas mask, the stoplight, which a lot of people, you know, think now they already take our inventions because we allow them to control our history. Chairman Cornell, okay. did you want to say something else? Or, or can you? Because I'm going to leave your line open or because I want to go to these phone lines, too. Yeah, let, just let me say one more thing because I want to listen, yes, too. Yes, sir. I've been out of, yes, been out of the loop for a while. So Man, it is what so I want good to, to have you back, too. I know. It's good to hear your voice. Um, what I want to say to the brothers and sisters, man, you know, you know, don't you guys be dismayed. Don't think that the Panther Parties went in, went anywhere. It's, That's right. You know, part part of what we do is we sit back and we observe, and we learn that from having been there, done that. You know, mm-hmm. we don't react the way we reacted in the past. We use every tool in our arsenal to do what we got to do. It might be a year down the road. It might be two years down the road. But trust us. When we say that we understand the social, economic, political system, partner, we understand it better than they do. Fifty years later, <laughs> right they're gonna tell you. Fifty years later, they're gonna tell you the truth about Kennedy. We've been telling you yeah. the truth about these crooks for years. Nobody wants mm. to listen to us, and all of a sudden they want to make a movie out of it. And everybody interested. Look, there's a lot that we can get into. We just don't have the time to get into all this stuff because it takes time, you know. But uh, yeah, I just want to holler back at you. Tell you that I'm I'm, I'm glad to be back. Man, I'm all smiles. It was a close one, Chairman. It was a close one. I but, yeah, uh, hey, listen. War, one thing I say about Chief, Chief was keeping me informed. Chief was giving me the blow by blow and constantly, you know, you're 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 a spiritualist like I'm a spiritualist. You were definitely in my prayers yeah. every day, and it was so good to hear you back yeah. and sharing with us. But yeah, I'm gonna listen. leave your mic open though. Yeah, I want to hear so, what else got to say. Right on. So your your mic is open, uh, and and chime in, and please, you know, uh, anytime, right. feel free. Let's go to yes, area sir. code seven six two six six seven five. Your mic is open. Black Power, my brother. Black, Black Power, brother Robert, what's good, man? Not much, man. Just wanted to, you know, uh, tap in on what you were saying to these old so-called artificial rich Negroes. You know what I'm saying? And, mm-hmm. you know, just, you know, it seemed like they forgetting where they came from, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. they weren't born that way, you know what I'm saying. They yeah. were able to get some of the success that they got from the small people, you know, the people that paved the way, you know, the people that died so they can be able to obtain and, and, and reach some of the goals and success that they have reached, you know what I'm saying. But, yet when you when you come to them with something that's going to benefit the people, they under out of people. They look down towards the people. You know, they just they 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 turn their cheek up like you know they did that on their own. You know what I'm saying? And it's crazy because you know if we can stick together as a whole, we can win. You know what I'm saying? But as long as we divide it, we weak. You know what I'm saying? We can always be penetrated. We can always be infiltrated. We can be broke down because you know one is weak, two is strong. You know what I'm saying? So if we get together as a whole, man, and just hold it, you know, we can do some of the things we need to do. We can put them black businesses in our neighborhoods. We can we can build those black schools. We can build those black neighborhoods where we can successfully look up and say, this is what we did together versus, oh, I did this on my own. You know, I, I got all this money, and I ain't had no help, such and such and such. You know, so 
once once we get that out of our way, man, you know, we can we can do a lot of big things, Phil. I feel you. You know, but I'm gonna play devil's advocate here. You know, I'm gonna play devil's advocate here. Uh, uh and because you know, two things I wanna bring up. Because I agree with you. Let's not I'm not gonna sit here and we're not gonna pretend that you don't have these bourgeoisie elitist buck dance and handkerchief head, Uncle Tom ass Negroes who really think they have made it because they have acquired some measure of material. They really think they have arrived. You know, but then there are some, but here's the danger of sweeping, of generalization and sweeping indictments. What I mean is throwing everybody in one category. The danger of that is we, um, the danger of that being if we don't, a, a lot of times, I don't know about a lot of times, some of those times or circumstances and instances, it may be that they have to separate themselves for the very reason we're fighting for, and that's to provide better social conditions. You know, sometimes they're not accepted in our communities. And when I mean accepted, meaning that their safety or their property is in danger because we on the bottom, us, those of us are the proletarian or the lumping, you know what I'm saying? The real, what we, what we have affectionately called sometimes real niggas, real niggas, will target them. We don't look at them as being one of us. Because as Franz Fanon said, and I, I quote again, he said, you're rich because you're white, and you're white because you're rich. You know what I'm saying? So we, in our some way twisted neo-colonialist thinking, have put them in the category of white people or the other, because they have money. And sometimes we project an attitude on them that they haven't even displayed. You know what I'm saying? That's the one thing. That we have, we, you know, sometimes we have to initiate a conversation with the more well-to-do to find out if they really feel that way. Secondly, That's true. I think That's like, true. Yeah. Secondly, I think like anything, you know, we have to um, – like I said, like anything, we have to begin to appeal to their interests or to uh, their needs. In the, like I said, I know why we as the lump and proletariat, the working class, real nigga, the have-nots, whatever we're calling ourselves, I see the allure and the appeal and the revolution for us. We want to change. We're tired of police brutality. We're talking of economic exploitation of our in our communities by these foreigners and others, outside investments tapping the money out. We're talking of poor housing conditions. We're talking of uh the unjust uh the unjust justice system. The unjust justice system. We're tired of it. Our wants and needs and demands are blatant. What has anyone asked by us writing off the so called upper middle class, what you know, we call the bourgeoisie. See, in this process I had to wrestle with wrestle with some leftists because a lot of my leanings are socialist leanings. So I had to wrestle with some of the indoctrination I had. Had we ever went and talked to the so called bourgeoisie or the upper middle class um, Africans in America about an attraction or their appeal to revolutionary struggle? What do they want? I mean, you know, when we go to them saying, okay, you know what, we want you to give up all your money that you didn't work hard, that you fought, and work hard for to obtain some measure of comfort and some stability for your family. We want you to give all of that up. 
We want you just to start from ground zero again. If you're real, you'll start from ground zero and be a have-not like us. You know what I'm saying? I mean, is that practical? Is it realistic? Black Power, man, go ahead. Uh, well, I think that before we can um, talk to these uh, brothers in a different social class, we have to offer them the same thing, the same benefit that the others do. You got to offer them the same thing. They, you know, uh, uh, the gates, you know, they like gated communities and security guards. These things that we can do. You know what I'm saying? That green grass that they got didn't grow there. They had to put it there. These things that we can do. You know what I'm saying? So I think before we can before we can talk to them and tell them, hey, bro, we still need you on this side, we have to come together and offer the same benefit because you can look at it on, on both sides and see why and what. Exactly. But you know, Akeem, let me jump in here and, and let me say, here, and that's what I'm talking about. Therein lies the problem. We suffer from, and I'm constantly saying this, a neocolonialist mentality. In order to offer those things, we have to get past those things being white. We have to get past, I mean, let's be real. You know, we, we all speak, us as African people here in America, we equate certain things with being white. We have to get past of looking at a uh, certain standard of living as being a white standard of living and being impoverished and being broke. We used to think being broken and impoverished was piety back when Christianity was a thing. If you're broke, if you're poor, if you're struggling and suffering, baby, Jesus did the same thing as righteousness. Now, in this day and time of, um, you know, not so much of a spiritual we're not in the spiritual era, era like that. So we look at that as being, you know what we call that now? Being broke, hungry, robbing, killing, maiming, mugging. You know what we call that now? Real nigga, real nigga shit. I'm a real nigga. You know, go ahead, bro, Chairman Carr. And then I'm going to go to the phone lines. I see you callers. I'm about to come to you. Yes, Chairman Carr. All right. I just want to ask uh, all the comrades, walk out of your house. And walk down the main streets, and you will see churches all down the street in a line known for that. They try to claim king. When we say buffer zone, buffer zone mean that. Let me break this out. Buffer zone mean a barrier between truth and lies. So when you say buffer zone Negroes, walk just down your street. You will see the buffer zone. And we got to keep it real. And I'm saying the buffer program, co-op that. The full clothes, the co-op that. Everything that we did in the 60s was co-op by the churches, funded by the government. It called buffer zone Negroes. A buffer zone is what Donald Trump called a wall between Mexico and America. So I want to break it down to you. You want to talk about war? You got a buffer zone. And it's visible. You walk, you don't see it. Yeah. Assalamu alaikum. Well, thanks 
live. Let me go to uh, let me let me let me get some of these callers in because I see you holding and I'm gonna come to you. Area code four four seven seven six five. And I see you, Sister E. Five again. I'm coming to you right to you next. Area code four four seven seven six five. What's good, Bernie Angle? What's good, Sister Kim? How are you? I'm fine. Um, hmm. where to start at with the bougie white lady? A lot of people don't want to come out and talk about them because they still see color. I don't see color, and what I have to, what we or some of our people got to understand is those are their niggas. Those are not our niggas. We confused and mistaken when we see these people that are in leadership. Nowhere in the structure of revolution will this governmental system or anybody, regardless of what ethnic background that they have, has any type of substantiated being or any type of substantiated plan for the black people or any other other. It's 99% of oppressed people and 1% that runs the world. I'm trying to figure out how niggas think that the 99% only includes niggas. This is where we messing up at. Like he said, Brother Fred Health made a valid point when he started to, you know, build the Rainbow Coalition. And all of our programs have been hijacked. We still living in the 60s. You know, like, we still think it's black and white. It's not black and white, and it never has been, to be honest. White people are scared of us. Niggas don't want to accept black supremacy. Supremacy is supremacy. I don't care about what type of background you come from or what you look like. When you have taken position with those that are oppressing any ethnic background or any type of situation of war or anything that's being waged on us as far as poverty or, you know, these diseases, then you are still the enemy. And a lot of people are afraid to speak out about what's going on right now. We got a lot of stuff going on in the revolution where we have let a lot of phony niggas be idolized for so long and nobody has stopped this situation to the point where we don't know if we're dealing with damn sambos or tongues. So all I wanted to say is, you know, we're talking about the money. The money don't mean shit. Like H. Rod Brown said, tomorrow the government can say money is rocks, but how many niggas is collecting rocks? Nobody. We're focusing on something that's not important. What we need to be focused on is, and I heard one of the brothers saying something about unity. Unity, really? I mean, yeah, we need that critically. But when we all stand up and be real about the situation, this is not the 60s where we had white people visibly oppressing us, and it was segregation and Jim Crow laws and things like that that was visible enough for our niggas in the field to be able to identify with who the fuck up. But right now, the white people figured it out, and they manipulated the game when they came with this integration shit, and they brought in these crackers, and they brought their sambo niggas along with them. I don't know what makes y'all think that when in Africa or whatever tribe we was, when we had sambos back then, and you know, enforcing indigenous servitude, which some people think that's something to idolize. I don't, because I don't believe in my mother or family members working for me for anything. That's free. But, however, if we had Sambo niggas then that got so upset with themselves and out of character about us sharing the wealth that they went and put themselves up in these Carcassonne mountains and pigmented their damn skin, what makes you think we ain't got some Sambos and Milanos that are in position? The government, and I'm going to go ahead and be short, the government, and I just want to end it with this, the government will never let any nigga, not a field nigga, get no position, whether they're governors, congressmen, or any of that, 
that will make change for our people. That's their government. When we start focusing on building our own government and focusing on the people that we choose to vote in, whether it's Brother Yanger or we want to vote in the statute, point being, participating in all of their things is what's causing us to continue to be enslaved. So it ain't about the money. It's about separating yourselves away from all that they use to build their economic system and to build their fiat currency. And that's all I wanted to say. Thank you. Could I address that real quick uh, before I hang up, Chairman? Let me go to my let me go to my phone lines, and I'm a I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna touch on it for a minute, but I'm gonna go to my phone lines, you know, because I agree with some I agree with some of I agree with some of what you're saying, and I got I see I got callers coming in. Um, I agree with some of what you're saying, you know, but one of the things is like what you said. We understand that the 99 percent of the world, the plus of the world, is not just African. But you know me and what I say, though, it's we're quick to have unity with oppressed people all over the world and not try to begin to build and unify with ourselves. You know, you can't come to the table. You know, that's 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 a key ingredient. I think even other revolutionaries. And here's the funny part. This is amazing. When you talk to other revolutionaries throughout the world, I'm sure Chairman Trinnell and even Chairman Carr, well, who have talked to uh, internationalists, who have talked to revolutionary on global revolutionary skills, and the ones that I've talked to, had the privilege of talking to via social media or whatever, uh, and, and through the books I've read, really say that the African here in America, the black man and black woman here in America, are the vanguard of an international global revolutionary movement. Yeah, we have to this. You know what I'm saying? We really set up. We really set a precedent. So I think that that's one of the things. Secondly, I agree with what you're saying about when you say economics, but that's a protracted struggle. In the meantime, in between time, there is, in order to get from point A to point B, there are certain steps you have to take. You know what I'm saying? We can't, you know, no baby just comes out of the womb and begins to run. There's a walking process. So, and, and, and the last part, because you've made some very good points, that throughout history, where there is oppression, you always have collaborators. We will always have Uncle Tom's and Sambo's and all of that. Chairman Carr, I'm coming up 30 minutes. Hold tight. Let me go to my phone lines because I had, you know, um, people really hold. Let me get the sister real quick, brother. Ife Nick, 817 your mic is open. True peace to the panel, Black Power, our search of financial power to the people. Uh, I'm just I'm I'm just enjoying the show, brothers. A uh, good show. I agree with a lot of things that's been said. Uh, uh, the the number one problem with black people, like you said, brother Yanger, is individualism. One, two, is the being so quick to uh, parallel ourselves with other people who have dealt with oppression. You know, and so we gotta come out of it. We gotta stop always. You know, saying. Well, we're not the only ones. There's other people being oppressed. We, yeah, we, it's time for us to deal with us. It's time for us to deal with us. It's time for us to come up with our own solutions. It's time for us to talk about problems that we face exclusively. We don't have to bring other people in because the, those other oppressed people have governments set up to ensure their protection. You know, if, you, if you're if dealing with any other oppressed people in the world, they're not being treated like African people in the world. They're not being oppressed today like African people are being oppressed, suppressed, and repressed. So I think it's just time. It's okay 
for us to have a conversation about us, our issues, and what we've gone through, come up with some solutions to come out of it and not feel obligated to talk about other people and their oppression. Because nobody else is talking about black people and their oppression except for black people. You better say that. You better say that. Uh, Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, true peace to the panel, man, black power. We got to uh, work more on just uh, lifting each other up and just coming up with solutions to our own problems and, and really being able to see through the propaganda of the system and what they got going on, how they keep us so separate like that. You know, I was so uh, baffled by Oprah Winfrey and how she gave money to those uh, families in Florida and it's like up until that, how many black people have you seen shot down? You know, I didn't hear anything about Oprah giving any money to Trayvon Martin's family. So it's not like these people don't know the difference. It's not like the elite amongst us do not know what's going on in the global system of North America and what black people are going through in general. They know what's going on, but they have to hold their positions because it can only be one power in, you know, it can only be one power at a time. So they know who the power is. They're not trying to relinquish what little power that they have. Everybody want to feel in control of their lives. And so at this point, our elitists, at least they have that. Our, our bourgeoisies, at least they have that. And that's all most black people in this country have been fighting for, just to feel free, just to feel, you know, um, you know, just just to have that room and not to feel like the the, the monkey is on their back twenty four seven. So they gonna exist, but we just gotta you know deal with the problems that we that we face, and we gotta come up with solutions. And we do not have to entertain other oppressed people. We can just deal with black oppressed people because nobody else is gonna do it for us. I, yeah. I, man, I agree for that. I agree with that. That is the ticket. Let us address us, you know. Yeah. And yeah. in addressing us, I'm about to come straight to you, Chairman Carr. In addressing us, when we address oppression, it would inevitably, inevitably, start to begin to evolve and incorporate the world. But we must address us. We are quick to dismiss our struggle to belittle our struggle, to degrade our struggle, and to find solutions to everybody else's problems except for our own. Even the problem of incorporating the bourgeoisie, if there is a black bourgeoisie. I mean, all of these questions have to be answered as relates to our struggle because the struggle with the African in America is unique. Chairman Carl, you wanted to say something. and I'm not rushing you, but if you could be brief because I got some callers on the line. Okay, uh, yeah. As a as a black parent that came to movement, I want everybody listening to me very closely. I got rid of niggas. I had a white lawyer that freed me. All those panthers that walked the street was not by black lawyers. They were by white lawyers who understood in the conversation. So what I'm saying as a panther, we deal with a liberation of humanity. And when we get so black, we don't see humanity. I'll be in prison right now. Black power. I'm black power, and I hate to always disagree. I hate when I hate because you're right. We deal deal with humanity, but right now at this particular time, I'm I'm with just the the Ife. 
we can't be so quick to see humanity to the exclusion of the of of the needs and the uh, the needs and the issues that affect us as Africans. You know, um, um, and and I agree. You know, we don't want to get into a black supremacy. Supremacy. I'm not a black supremacist. I mean, a lot of my brothers and sisters on the line, they do. Oh, Yanga didn't say that. No, I'm not a black supremacist. You know what I'm saying? But I am a black nationalist, which I believe that the African here in America, the black man and woman here in America, must say if we don't have nationalism in economics, in landmass, or even in social cultural understanding, we better get it in a survival understanding. In the very, in 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 the at the very least in a survival understanding as thinking as a nation that we are systematically being targeted for no other reason than we are the descendants of African people. Like I'm like what Sister Nundy, like what Sister Kim said. Not all some of us feel like we didn't come over here on slave ships. That's cool. Some of us don't want to be called African or be called black. That's cool. Some of us we have all of these things that we don't want to do. A million reasons to divide us. That's cool. That's always going to be there. Willie Lynch. Even now, we can't even agree on the damn Willie Lynch letter. Some people say, oh, it's fake. Some people say, God, damn, we can't agree on nothing. Even things that help us. So all of that's cool. But one thing we better agree on is that we have a people, whoever those people may be, that have our destruction, our intimate destruction, whether that's ideology, ideologically, philosophically, or even physically, we are in crosshairs. And if we don't begin to think in survival mode and a mode of continuation and a mode of empowering and evolving, we will die. And they have beat into us multiculturalism, uh, acceptance, this and that. This and so much so that even now the damn revolutionary is scared to say and uh, put the black man and the black woman prominent in, in, in the forefront and in the forethought. Let me go to the line because I got people really holding and they want to come um Come back on. Thank you, Susan. Six seven eight one three seven three. Uh, welcome, welcome. Uh, my name is Khadija. I'm in Atlanta, and from what I understand, uh, the conversation started with um, speaking about the bourgeoisie and either why they feel included or don't feel included. And I just wanted to touch on that, if I can. Yes, please, go ahead. Help yourself. Okay. So I wouldn't consider myself in that group, but someone else might. And in order to, I would like to be part of the overall upliftment, but a lot of times I'm excluded or people like me are excluded because they think uh, we can't relate or they think that we don't want to or they think that the struggle isn't ours. But we have to get out of the point of an us and a them because, like I used to do activism down in Miami, there is no us and them, there's no Bahamian, there's no Jamaican, there's no separation of nationality, spirituality, even gender. At the middle of the night and midnight, you're a nigger and you're in danger. So we really have to get past all these different ways that we exclude ourselves. Now, I may not have time to be and have boots on the ground, but I can fund some boots, you know? And so I think really it's about just seeing where everybody is, what their strengths are, and then applying it from there. 
and the understanding, too, that my contribution might look different from your contribution, but what's important is that we're all contributing, you know? And so we have to get out of the us versus them because there's an extremely fine line when it comes down to trouble about who is us and who is them. So it's really all of a we, and we have to work together, and everybody needs to get in where they're getting. So I just wanted to I just wanted to add that don't always look for everybody's contribution to look the same. Don't look everyone's struggle isn't the same, and don't make assumptions that just because I'm not right here beside you that I don't feel for you and I can't do more in in that position. So you know sometimes I think those exclusions are done just out of um, lack of knowledge, lack of you know information, you know, you just don't know that I'm open and available, and I don't know that you're open and available. So we have to do more, I think, to cross those boundaries. There was a big debate between brown and black just a couple years ago, but then when we stopped and looked like, hey, wait a minute, we got more similarities than differences, there are unions, and we are now seeing brown brothers and sisters and black brothers and sisters working together. So I think the same is with this situation. If we look at each other and really spend time with each other trying to understand the differences rather than allowing that to divide us, we can move forward. But I know that you got phone lines. I thank you for the time. It's a wonderful conversation. Brother Karen, I'm going to comment real quickly. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know, uh, I appreciate what the sister had to say. I know that the chairman would, uh, would agree with me. You know, um, the Black Panther Party, you know, we've been around for over 50 years, and we, we come on the shoulders of other freedom fighters before us. So we just didn't hit the corner off running, you know. Um, we came we came in a legitimate way. Uh, for those brothers and sisters that uh, want to be supportive and want to help, uh, whatever the case may be, that's your decision, you know. Uh, but I will say this. You know, we, we just didn't show up. We've been here for a while. We've been That's advocating right. for a while. We've been protesting for a while. You know, we've been doing all this for a while. So it, it ain't hard to find us. If you're looking hard enough, you'll find us. If you're concerned enough, you'll find us. If you research enough, you'll find us. If you ask enough questions, you'll find us. So if you want to find us, you'll find us. That's right on. Yeah, we ain't, we ain't going nowhere. The struggle hasn't went anywhere, and the revolutionaries, revolutionaries surely haven't went anywhere. And that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. Thank can you for that, Chairman. Can I, can, I, can I comment real quick before you move on, Brother Younger? Okay. Um, I, I agree to a, to a certain extent. You know, I think the only reason why a, 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 a us and a them comes into place right, come into place right now is because when the Black Panther Party was first established, right, it was us establishing ourselves as an organization in this country, a united front. What we have to understand is that we are in a war. This is war. And in this war, all the battles are different. I agree with Brother uh, Dr. Umar Johnson when he when he talks about his school and he says he doesn't want anybody in there with weave in their hair, with perms in their hair, with presses in their hair, because he doesn't want the children 
to get the impression that you have to alter alter yourself to fit in or to feel like you're a part of society or anything like that. So in this war, it's a lot of things that we're going to have to say, hey, that can't go. That can't go anymore. It is truly time for us to establish ourselves in this country as a nation, as a people, and be proud, truly proud of who we are. We don't have to alter ourselves. We don't have to alter our appearance. We don't have to try to fit in. We don't have to dress a certain type of way. And people who still want to do that, you're not, you're not helping. You're still... Our children are growing up and still feeling like, you know, you got mothers right now. I work in an elementary school where the little babies are getting braids and weave and stuff in their hair at five and six years old. What is that telling the little baby girls? That's telling them your natural beauty is not the standard. Your natural beauty is not accepted or good enough. So then you have people like myself who are, struggling and just, you know, going through life and I have to be looked at a certain way or because I wear my hair short and I wear it natural, uh, I might be a, a undercover lesbian and all kind of stuff because most black women have not embraced their natural beauty, you know, and so that's a part of the war too. So when we say an us and a them, it's just identifying those who uh, identify themselves as African people embrace their African features, embrace their African characteristics, and embrace their African heritage. And then there are those who say, well, I don't have to do all that to be black. I'm black anyway just because of my skin color. No, it's mind, body, and spirit. It's it's all of that. All of that is a complete package. So it, it, it has to be put on the table. We're talking about solutions to our problems. Not just saying, okay, these are hangups that we have, but that don't mean we're not all in the same struggle together. Are we moving together progressively? Because that's what it's about. Black power. Black brother power. Yanger, you, you might be muted, Brother Yanger. Yeah, me Yanger. Y'all know he's saying said Black. earlier that the show was cut off. I was, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, I was muted, oh, okay. I, and y'all missed me too. I was, I was dropping. I was muted. Okay, and I brother. was I just, <laughs> I just played. Okay. <laughs> no, I agree. I, I agree. Well, you know, I agree with the sister. You know what I'm saying? And like she said, it's not just we're at the age where it's not just skin complexion. I tell people white supremacy is a is is a system. You know. The oppression, the exploitation that we face as people has been institutionalized and has become a system, and it is so good. The system is so built. The mechanism that pushes white supremacy, exploitation, and oppression is so thorough that you have the people that suffer from it actually enforcing it. You have the uh, Hispanics, black people, all these other ethnicities enforcing white supremacy Eurocentricity and every other thing that exploits and keeps the uh, so-called minority people under thumb and subjugated. So it, it has to be. We have to evolve psychologically, philosophically, ideologically, socially. 
all the ways and look to ways and, and, and part of our involvement is what advances us as a people and to go off what the sister said, what I agree with, and I've always said is we're not a monolithic people. Good we're idea. not one we're not one people. So our struggle, our fight yeah. is on every facet and every front. Let me go to this phone line real quick. Oh, did the caller drop? Yeah, no, there you go. Let let me listen. I got 18 minutes. Let me get this caller because this caller has been holding for 15 minutes. Let me get this caller on. Area code three one four four six four four. Your mic is open. You know, you made a good statement when you said use the word monolith. All blacks in the United States are not the same. Yes, sir. They don't experience the same. And there's a difference between what you call black. African and objective black African American. They are different people. Lisa Keys considers herself as black. You have somebody that may be in Chicago may consider themselves objective black African American. Of course, you do have Nigerians in this country who are Africans, and they don't get involved in the issues that what we call native blacks get involved in. And uh, I really appreciate you making mention of the upper class and middle class because there's a difference between those two classes and those that you, you know, seem to get a lot of the urban attention to. Let me ask you a question. What's your position on school choice where a parent can take their child out of the present environment that they're in and put them in an environment that's conducive to their plan and overall goals for their child's higher education outcome? That's a good question. I mean, from just what you presented, and I don't know, I haven't done any extensive research on it, but just from what you present, I would be in favor of that. Well, but most, but uh, most blacks, when polled, do want school choice, which includes vouchers. But your vanguard organizations and your teachers unions don't, for the simple mm-hmm. reason, because they exploit black children in those urban settings. And those who have, quote-unquote, been to that mountaintop and the things that work for them, they will likewise like to share and help parents to direct their children along those same paths of success. But as I said before, some don't want to do it. I hear people talking about blacks need to have their own. Well, I don't know what the extent of that. You know, you're not going to have a nation within this nation. And they're not going to go to an African country and carve out a section of the land. And you got a good band on that. Yeah, and do that. And another thing, you're not going to, if you did have a nation, you could not develop your nation without the input or the influence of products that's made and designed by white nations. It's just literally impossible because you're not that far along advanced. Well, let's put it like this. African countries don't do that now. And one of the most advanced is Nigeria. Nigeria is putting in power system, electrical power system. They still have to get certain components from General Electric or Siemens out of Germany or even China to a certain degree. That's just the way it is. So uh, when you talk about we, it would consist of first logic would be your family members. Then beyond that, a group of people that have an agenda, like ideas and a like purpose that they can work on that agenda together. It's not going to be a whole stadium of people. 
in any ethnic group on the planet, whether it's Eskimos, people in Argentina, in Spain, or Italy, there's about 10% of the people in that population that do elite and extraordinary things. You have it in black population here in America also. And they're the one who has that knowledge. But they get ridiculed and called names. I'm a supporter, and I voted for Donald Trump. 13% of the male black, uh, black males that voted voted for Donald Trump, too. It's not that I did. It's why I did it. And people will ridicule you because of that. So I just want to put that in there. Okay. Let me, let well, you me know, it's not for everybody. Let, everybody yeah. is not already. You sound like a non-believer. You, you're not ready at all. Let me let me let me let me let me let me jump in there before you know everybody jumps because I well, I felt the energy through the phone line. <laughs> you know, first of all, let me say this: when we talk about nation, I I don't I'm not a naysayer. I do think you can have a nation within the nation. We see it all the time. When you see these other ethnicities come over here, nation is based is not always geographical location or in the same geographical location, but when you look at nations, it is sometimes defined as people who have a shared common experience. As African people or the descendants of African people, and I'm not talking about the Nigerians. The Nigerians have their own nation. Those are our brothers, yes, indeed. But I'm talking about the African here in America, the African that has went through the American experience. The problem with not having nationhood, the problem like what you said with our elite, when you talk about other ethnicities, elites, when they do these feats or they have these uh, great contributions, those contributions go back to their people. When we do these do these feats, these extraordinary feats, and have these uh, and they take our contributions, they don't go to us. We are the most overworked, underpaid, last hired, first fired type of people. We have been brought over here for a particular reason. You know, for those of us that believe in the Maapa, the Atlantic slave trade, for those of us that don't believe in the Maapa, the Atlantic slave trade, or believe they were here before slaves, they're still subjugated to racism, discrimination, and oppression based on nothing more than the melon in their skin. So we're saying what we're calling for, to be a self-determinist people, we're not asking them for anything. But one thing, stop the willful and intentional hindrance and obstruction of a natural evolving process for a people. We are intentionally and systematically targeted. That's what we're saying. Our culture has been staying historic. I don't even have to reiterate what I've said so many times before on so many previous shows, the crimes perpetrated against us. But let's talk about the crimes continuously being perpetrated against us. And for and I can understand you know, I have some relatives that are Republicans. I don't know if they voted for Trump. I'm not going to put that on them. I, you know, I don't know that much that far. But I understand because of the social stature, because of the, you know, their, so, their, economic, their economic status. They're Republicans, and I understand why they're Republicans. And we go back historically how black people were Republicans before. We can do all of that. But when you're trying to, when you look at, and this is when I'm going to get into the whole Donald Trump thing, and I understand probably some of the reasons you voted for Trump, but there were no reasons that would evolve us as a people because, and I'm not putting a thing on you, brother, because I don't know you, but because you have bought into the American dream. You weigh your stand, you weigh yourself according to an American male and not an African American male affiliated with the plight 
of the majority of African people. See, when we buy into individualism, Donald Trump is an individualist. You know, the whole Republican Party, the whole American team is, is rugged maverickism. It's about pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. But when you're a communalist, when you look at your success, it's tied to the overall success of African people. Some of the things that he has said and done, some of the things America is about, is not conducive to the development and to the advancement of African people. And that's all I'm saying, that we have to well, stop being... Can I chime in and piggyback off you real quick before it ends? Uh, what the brother said, he I, I I'm not 100% sure, but it sounds like he said that we have it, we're not advanced enough or something to that degree. But I will say this: we have black people in this country, and I agree with Brother Ganga. When I speak, I only deal with North American Africans. I don't mm-hmm. go outside of that. I deal with black people, African American people who have been through the African American experience. We have people in position who would be overly qualified to run this country. If anything were to happen right now to the Caucasian race, if we woke up tomorrow and they were all obliterated off of this planet, we have black people who are ready to step up and can run this country 100 times better than any Caucasian person who has ever put their hands forward in running a country. That's number one. Two, strength is in numbers. And so that's why it's very, very, very imperative that we get the masses of black people comfortable with themselves, educated on themselves, mentally ready to embrace themselves. A real small illustration, I've been working with my parents. You know, this whole consciously black experience with me is so new to my parents, right? And so they've been going through this with me. It was arguing, it was fussing, it was disagreements, all of that, you know. But last Sunday, they are still active Christians, but they wore their dashiki. You know, my mother wore her African dress. My father wore his dashiki. And they were so proud just to say, I'm embracing this. And, you know, to me it was just like, okay, you know, I'll go jogging in a dashiki. It's, It's nothing. But I get it. I get it. And we have to begin to make black people feel comfortable. That's with right. being who they are because when we deal with the masses, they're not going to be – everybody is not oscillating on a high reasonability. Most of the masses go with whatever it is that's popular, whatever the big thing is, whatever is going on. That's why it's important that if you're black and you're conscious and you're aware, you should embrace blackness. That makes other black people comfortable with being who they are in a country where they have been made to feel uncomfortable, uncomfortable. just in their own skin. That's right. So, Steve, let me go to. You put clothes on it. Thank you for Well, I, I'm going to let you guys uh, let you no, go, but I'm going to say this real quick. Yeah, you know, uh, I'll give you a few minutes to about that. In the 1970s, in 1970s, uh, on the behalf of Floyd McKissick and Harvey Gantt, Nixon started. Uh, built a town in Winston, not Winston, but Warren County, North Carolina. It's called Soul City. They put it in the infrastructure. They spent millions of dollars of putting it in factories, and it still exists there today. Uh, you have one in South Carolina, Freedom Town. And, of course, uh, about 13 of those original settlements 
that was in your Man. Oklahoma, they're still there today. I mean, that's the fact. Absolutely, yeah. but the world is ran but, on social media. Sister, sister, the world sister, is ran sister, on sister, the regular sister, scheduled programming. Sister, and so, okay, I'm sorry. The, there was a stool in Ghana that gave over three, uh, gave over, uh, I forget the, the number, uh, 30,000 hex acres of land made available for African Americans. Now, you have some over there. I'm married to a Ghanaian woman after my wife died that I had been with since we was 10 years old and do business in those in those countries. But what I'm saying is this, the opportunities exist. And if you don't prepare yourself or prepare your children, whereas they can take advantage, and even the black businesses, you know, you got a you know, your black enterprise, top 100 black businesses that span from $9 billion on down, uh, they need skilled people, whereas they can expand Absolutely. if they want to. So you have I to agree. prepare yourself for those, prepare your children for those. And like I, I said once before, one of the ways to do so is to implement school choice where parents that's accountable can put their child at the behest of having the vouchers to do it in the education paradigm that they feel is best for their children. All right, you guys go on. Thank you very much. Thank you. I got I got five minutes. This is even, I know you be hey hype. You gotta let them finish their point though, Queen. Listen, I'm gonna go to the phone line. Brother, I appreciate man, I appreciate your candor. And you coming on the program and having an opposing view and being man enough to express and share that opposing view, I hope to continue to call in and listen and, and, and spread the message, man, because this is what we need. This is healthy, good dialogue for us as a people. We have to address these questions. And we have to know that we have brothers and sisters that share your sentiment out there. And if we and we have to learn to be able to dialogue with that. So thank you so much, brother. For that, and I hope you continue to listen uh, next Tuesday. Let me go to my phone lines. I know that Sister Nani, I got five minutes, Kim. So, you know, I'm going to give you two of them. Um, I I, I appreciate it. I'm not going to talk very long. I just wanted to state this. You know, I heard something a while back. The sister was talking about culture and go back to your natural habitat. What is natural? Because I wasn't born with kinky hair, but I'm revolutionary to the death of me. Some of my family members are descendants of Indians. It's not about the fact that we got to worry about just ourselves. We need to worry about as a whole that even this is why I have such a respect for the original Panther Party, and I hate to keep using that term, but it's because they understood we can't get in white places. So we needed the underground weathermen. We needed the white panthers, the Brazilian panthers, and all of that because I don't know no Negro on this phone that can speak Brazilian. I don't know no Negro on this phone that can speak Mexican. So it's the I don't know no Negro on this phone that know an Indian Excuse me, sister. Can we all be respectful, please? I listened to you for like an hour, so I'd appreciate it if you were respectful. Yeah. Look, yeah. Brother Yanga, I'm going to be short-winded. All I wanted to say is this. Cultural nationalism was something that the Panthers didn't deal with, and this is why. If you're just going to lean towards one culture, then you are still washing away all of our descendants, whether they're in Asia, whether they're in Tasmania, whether they're Benjamites, or wherever they come from, in every background of ethnic culture, there is still what you consider to be the melanated people. So with that being said, again, I don't know what natural is because my natural hair is long and down my back and it's never been kinky. And no matter how much I might want it that way, it's not going to get that way, but that doesn't make me 
me any less black or any less revolutionary. So thank you, Brother Yanga, for letting me speak, and I really appreciate it. And power to the people. Power to the woo. Why wow, a good show this way. So we had a good one this way. I we had a great show. I Listen, mean, I agree I, with her one hundred percent because a yeah. lot of us don't have what is what is uh, authentic nappy or kinky hair. None of us, not yeah. even, including myself. Okay. But we're talking about altering. Your hair. So if you wear your hair and you're wearing it the way it grows out of your scalp, that's as natural as you can be. Okay. Right that's on. what we're talking Wait, about. Got, Even when yeah. you cut your hair short, you still altering it. It's some people that say you shouldn't cut your hair as a woman, but you're doing it. So altering is altering. I'm going to I'm muting buttons now because I have one minute. Chemical, I'm sorry. I got like one minute. And I and, and and I want to go on out and close out because I want to thank everyone for listening in. Listen, let's let's do it again Tuesday. This is how great conversations are, great shows are exchanged. Remember, this is the people's uh, Black Panther Party self determination, the people's voice, and and I love it. I love the exchange of ideas. We're not always going to see eye to eye. I love the fact that we can come on here and express our views. This is your form for it. If you didn't get an opportunity to speak this time and you love to speak. Then, you know, come on, check us out next Tuesday at 8. In fact, tell someone to come out. Let's express these views. Again, I want to send out a personal thanks for that brother who was courageous enough and solid enough in his views to come out and share those views with us. This is what it's about, African communalism. We are not a monolithic people. Monolithic people. We not always see eye to eye the same way, but at the end of the day, it is what is good for us as a people, for our advancement, our empowerment, and our liberation. With that, I leave you as I greeted you. All powers to oppress people, African power to an African people, and black power. Black power. Black power, brother. Black power. Black power. All I need is one mic, one beat, one stage, one nigga front My face on the front page Only if I had one gun, one girl and one crib One God to show me how to do things His son did pure Like a cup of virgin blood Mixed with 151 One sip will make a nigga flip Writing names on my hollow tips Plotting shit, mad violence Who I'm gon' body This hood politics is knowledge Leave bodies chopped up in garbage Seeds watch us Grow up and try to follow us Police watch us Roll up and try knocking us One I duck, could it be my time is up with my love? I got up, the cops shot again. Bust out glass burst, a fiend drops a Heineken. Ricocheting between the spots that I'm hiding in. Blacking out, I shoot back. Fuck getting hit. This is my hood, I'm a rat to the death of it. To everybody, come on. Little niggas is grown, hood rats. Don't abortion your wound. We need more warriors soon. Sit from the stars, sun and the moon. And it's like a police chase, the street sweepers and coppers. Sick up kids with no conscience, leaving victims with doctors. If you really think you're ready to die. When nine's out, this is what nine's about, nigga, the time is all down. One mic, one mic, one mic, one mic. All I need is one mic, one mic, one mic. All I need, all I need is one mic, one mic, one mic. All I need, niggas, all I need is one mic, one mic, one mic. Yeah. 
All I need is one blunt, one page, and one pen, one prayer. Tell God, forgive me for one sin. Matter of fact, maybe more than one. Look back at all the hatred against me. Fuck all of them. Jesus died at age 33. That's 33 shots from twin glocks and 16 apiece. That's 32, which means one of my guns was holding 17. 27 hit your crew. Six winners to you. Everybody gotta die sometime. Hope your funeral never get shot up. Bullets tear through the innocent. Nothing to spare. Niggas roll up. Shooting from wheelchairs. My heart is Racing, tasting revenge in the air I let this shit slide for too many years Too many times now I'm strapped with a couple of max Too many nines If y'all niggas really with me Get busy, load up the semis Do more than just hold it Explode the clip until you empty There's nothing in our way They bust, we bust They rush, we bust Let's fly and feel it I feel it in my gut That we take these bitches to war Lie them down Cause we stronger now My nigga, the time is now I need this one Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.